Great. Uh, for the kids, the little ones, it's now time for you to head out. So for minis, you're heading out uh, back here, and tinies, you're heading out that way. Um, and as they head out, uh, why don't we pick up a Bible, um, if you've got those to hand, either a physical Bible or a, uh, one on your phone. We're working through the, a series in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're joining us uh, today, which is in Matthew's Gospel. So you've got Matthew chapter 5. And we're in verse 33 today. So Matthew 5, verse 33. Terrific. Um, Let me pray for the little ones, uh, and then we'll read, um, read God's word together. Father, we're so grateful for for church family, um, that you speak to us from all ages and stages and backgrounds. And Father, pray for our little ones, the the tinies and the minis, pray that you'd be speaking to them in their groups as they look at the Sermon on the Mount as well. And Father, please speak to us now. Father, we know your word is truth. We know that your word is good, that you are wholly faithful and we can always trust you. So help us to trust you now as we come to these words of the greatest sermon anyone has ever preached as we hear from the words of Jesus himself. Father, please, would you transform our hearts and turn our eyes towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great, let me read. Um, So Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Great. Let me start by, um, I'm going to make a claim. That's... I don't know how this is going to work. All right, let's, let's try this. Um, I'm going to make a claim that you should invite me to your next party as the magician at your party, okay? Because I can perform some magic tricks. Yeah? So, oh, let's try. Okay, so in... So this hat, out of this hat, I'm going to pull out a rabbit, okay? See, there's, no, there's nothing in this hat. <laughs> it's going so well. I'm going to pull out a rabbit out of this hat, right? So you can, next time you have a party, here we go. And out comes Rabbit. Terrific, thank you. Right. Now, if I advertise to you that I should be a magician at your next party, would you invite me? No. Oh, (laughs) Probably not. Your trust for me has gone down, particularly if you've never met me before. You definitely know now I'm not a magician. That's not my trade. None of you would want me there. But let me ask you this. If I now told you, having shown you that, that I could also ride a unicycle and juggle, what do you think now? See, would you trust me? You're not sure, right? You see, when my word is broken on one thing, it will affect my trustworthiness with something else. My integrity has been diminished. See, we all know that trust is, is so huge, it's so important in our relationships to the building of society. What we say matters, how we use our words matter. Relationships without trust, integrity, and fairness, they run into all sorts of problems. We see it today in the culture. 
with the fake news stuff? What can you actually trust? The BBC has a team of fact-checkers. But now people wonder, how do we fact-check the fact-checkers? The rise of AI has started to really blur those lines. What is real? What is true? Am I, is this really true, what I'm seeing? In such a world that we live in today, how are we, as those who follow Christ, those who live in his kingdom, how are we supposed to live? What are we to do with our words? How about making promises and oaths? How are we to shine as light and be salty in a world filled with fake news, decrease trust in leaders and politicians, and in society as a whole? That is what Jesus is going to speak into. And it's a huge part of our lives. And the surprise in what Jesus says is, he actually says that I don't want people in my kingdom to swear by things and make oaths. That's what he says. In other words, he's saying, look, don't go around saying to people, hey, you can trust me in this. Do you see that in verse 34? But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. And you start wondering, why is Jesus saying that? Surely making promises and oaths is a good thing to build trust. Why is Jesus, what is he doing? Well, look at verse 33. Again, you have heard it that, that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, this isn't a direct quotation from the Old Testament law that was given to Moses and the people thousands of years ago. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking different parts of the law that speak about oaths and summarizing it all together. Here are some of those verses. They'll come up on the screen. Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Again, in Numbers 30, verse 2, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he has said. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you guys, you know the law. You know what it says about oaths, that you need to take them seriously, because you make them before God in his presence. It ties in with the command from the Ten Commandments to not profane and dishonor God's name. Because oaths were guaranteed by God. Because we know that people knew God is ever faithful and ever true to his word. When God says, I will, it always comes to pass. They had seen it play out in their lives, that his word never returns empty. So the original intention of the law was towards keeping your word, to pushing the people to truthfulness, backed by God himself. It's like your words are backed by a guarantee, an entity that validates those words as true and reliable. Does anyone know what this thing is? Has anyone seen these? <laughs> Ancient checkbook. You youngsters have probably have no idea what this checkbook is. Okay, I haven't used this for about 10 years. I dug it out. Here's a checkbook. So what, what will happen is I'll write something here saying, here, I'll give you 100 pounds. I'll sign it and I'll tear it off and give it to you. It's like that. It's basically a promise. I can't even do it anymore. All right, give up. This, this is going really well. I'm not a magician. I can't write checks. All right. But it's like a promise. It's an oath that says, look, I will give you a certain sum of money and it's guaranteed by the bank. You know it's good because you know the guarantor. And it's like that here. You make a promise, you make an oath in the presence, backed by, guaranteed by God himself. At this point, the crowd are probably sitting there nodding along going, yeah, yeah, we know this. And then Jesus says something radical. But I tell you, don't make any oaths at all. Huh? They're confused. What do you mean? Doesn't that go against what the law was saying? Doesn't that weaken the law? 
But let's read on. Look at verses 34 onwards. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. See, this is what was going on. The Jewish people had taken what was good in the law, and they were starting to add all sorts of exceptions to it. It sort of picks up on the concessions idea that we saw last week, if you were here last week on divorce. They were finding loopholes to get around the law. And the whole point of loopholes, as we know it, is to see how close you can get to the edge, to the cliff. It's not about how you uphold the letter of the law. That's what they were doing. Everybody knew that the law clearly said, you make a promise, you make an oath, it's to the Lord and you've got to keep it. And then, this is what they were saying, they were, aha, let's look at that again. Let's focus on that bit about fulfilling it to the Lord. Okay, so we don't want to dishonor his name, so let's replace the Lord with something else that isn't God. And now if we break an oath, we don't profane God's name, it's good. We keep honoring God, but if we mess up, it's okay now. Do you see what they've done? They've created a loophole to allow them to break oaths without dishonoring God's name. And so that's why they start to replace God with other things like heaven and earth and Jerusalem. Those things sound grand enough to someone who's hearing those promises, but they aren't God. It's like me taking that check, you know, and instead of using Barclays Bank as a guarantee, I start saying, you know, I guarantee under the household name of Son. And you're like, who's that? The nature of the promise has become that much weaker. And notice it's almost like a, a tiered system. It's like Domino's Pizza. You've got large, medium, small. Heaven is the large pizza. Earth is the medium. Small is Jerusalem. There's still an oath, but it's bolstered by bigger guarantees and smaller guarantees. You can pick and choose which one you want based on how much you want to break your promise. Now, we do this today. We try and bolster things. We say things like, I, I promise you, I swear, you can trust me. I swear on my life. Cross my heart and hope to die. That's a weird phrase. Where's that come from? Or I swear on my mother's grave. These are the types of phrases we use in the hope that they will bolster our words. The irony is, though, you sort of lose more credibility. As soon as you need to bolster the words that you're saying, hang on, what about everything else you're saying? You sort of compromise your integrity, like I did earlier with the silly hat thing. And that is the path that the Jewish people are on as they created these loopholes, finding ways out of committing promises to God, to other people, in front of God. They were finding ways to sound truthful, people of integrity, but actually they were opening a pathway to breaking promises, to having more dishonesty, lacking integrity. Some teachers of the law were even saying things like this. They were saying, if you swear by Jerusalem, you can break the oath. But if you swear to Jerusalem, you can't. Do you see how bizarre it was getting? And that is what Jesus confronts. He starts dismantling these loopholes they've created. People come and say, I swear to the heavens. Sounds, sounds grand. But you know, God's not there. We, don't, we haven't said God, so we're okay. And Jesus says, aha, that's what you might think. But Isaiah 66.1 says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne. So you swear by heaven and you're making an oath before God. Okay, then maybe I can swear to the earth. That's not his throne room. That's okay, isn't it? But Isaiah 66.1 continues, and the earth is my footstool. Aha, God is still there on earth. 
Okay, how about Jerusalem then? Ah, well, let me tell you Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon, his Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Jesus is making it clear, look, Jerusalem isn't your city, you don't own it. God does, it's his city. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you can make an oath based on anything or any place, but they are always in the presence of God. Okay, says the person, okay, fine, I found another loophole. Let me swear by the hairs on my head then. That's mine, I can do whatever I want with that, can't I? Nice try, Jesus says. That's what you think. But you cannot make your black hair white or your white hair black. I remember as a kid, as my dad was getting older, he, had, he started getting like gray white hairs. Sometimes he'd disappear for a few minutes to the bathroom and come back and it's all black. It's amazing. He's like a walking advert for Just For Men. If you don't know what Just For Men is, don't worry. If you're using it, it works, trust me. But this isn't about hair dye. Jesus is talking about the very essence of our being. Even the hairs on our head are in God's control. He's the one who numbers the hairs on on the back of your head. He's the one who can make your hair black or white. Sometimes I wish he'd do more white to black than black to white for me. But that is God doing that. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, look, the law is saying whenever you make an oath, you will always be making an oath to God. Because God is everywhere and over everything. That's what we started this service with. Jesus is showing them, look, the law isn't about loopholes. The whole point of the law was about upholding truthfulness and integrity. That's why God gave it. Because we are the people of God, living in the presence of God, called to honor God's name. That's how people of God should live. But as Jesus dismantles their loopholes, what he's actually doing is showing us what our hearts can really be like. That actually all of us tend towards lives of, instead of lives of honesty and truthfulness and integrity, we do the opposite. It's interesting, I think our culture really values integrity and honesty. There are tons of articles, there are loads of TED Talks about the importance of honesty and integrity. And yet, why do people find it so easy to be untruthful, to break promises? And when I say people, I don't mean, I mean all of us. Christians are not exempt from this. Actually, statistically, it seems to be the case that many Christians are sometimes just as dishonest as everyone else. Why? There's a National Geographic study that was performed a few years ago on why people keep lying, and it's pretty eye-opening. They give two big reasons. The first is this. People are often dishonest to protect ourselves from, from justified harm. Or to put it another way, we are often dishonest because we cover up when we've messed up. You know, the worker who stuffs the printer with the wrong size paper, it jams. And then what do they do? They shout, who, who broke the printer? Who, who put the wrong paper in? It can start with smaller things like that, but onto bigger things. Like when we feel like we've let others down, or you've messed up something that you were meant to do, or you're running late for a meeting because you've overbooked yourself. To cover the guilt within, that you feel within, or the shame that you feel without, we can often be dishonest. Oh, the, the Uber driver got lost. There was a signal failure on the line. Pretty prob- probable. 
The cloud deleted my presentation. But worse yet, it's like when temptations come. Temptations that lead us to something we shouldn't be doing, somewhere we shouldn't be, or watching something we shouldn't be watching. And somebody comes and asks lovingly, hey, hey what's going on? And we find ourselves lying, dishonest to cover up the thing that we know we shouldn't be doing because we've messed up. The second thing the study found was we are often dishonest for our own benefit and gain. Mind you, this isn't a Christian study, by the way. This is just about the world, but it just speaks into it. We often are dishonest for our own benefit and gain. For example, we sometimes embellish. We sometimes claim something that isn't ours because we know it will gain us more plaudits, more praise, more popularity because it benefits our reputation. Sometimes we do it to benefit our own comfort. Isn't it sometimes the case that it's far more convenient to not speak the truth because it keeps life peaceable and quiet. There's no confrontation and noise. Do these clothes work well? In your head, you're thinking bin bag, but you say model. Does my food taste good? In your head, you're thinking sand, but you say gourmet. Do you like my singing? Strangled cat, you think, but you think Britain's got talent. Yeah, I'm exaggerating, I know, but sometimes, don't we, don't we do that? It seems more convenient to just say, yeah, even if you don't think it. We can find it so easy not to speak the truth for our own benefit, for our own comfort. What's it like for somebody who you know, you look and, and see a brother or sister who's making an unwise choice and they ask for your opinion? Often it can feel so much easier. I just don't want to get caught up in that. So much easier to not speak the truth so we can just maintain the peace. So you sort of lie to them and say it's okay, and you sort of lie to yourself and think, oh, it's not that bad, is it? See, that's what the Pharisees were doing with this law. They were creating wiggle room so they could break oaths to cover over the things that they clearly shouldn't be doing, or break oaths for their own gain so they benefit, so their reputations and their comforts grow. And is that not what our hearts can often do? And Jesus is exposing that heart attitude of untruthfulness in our lives. We all know how destructive it can be. Dishonesty, broken promises, lack of integrity. It will almost always leave behind a trail of mistrust, fractured relationships, anger, tears, wounded bodies and wounded hearts. That is why the world longs so much for integrity and honesty. People want politicians and leaders to stop lying. People want leaders to be transparent. People want to be able to believe what they hear and see without labeling it fake news. It's exhausting. And yet we continue with these loopholes. We continue with low integrity, dishonesty. And it's into this fractured world that Jesus comes to bring in his kingdom. Jesus shows us what his kingdom looks like, how he's going to fulfill this law in its fullness. And it's simply this, the message today for us to take away is simply this, kingdom people are people of truth and integrity. Verse 37 is a key to this entire passage. You see, look at it with me. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's what Jesus is saying. The law permitted oaths. Words would be supported by these oaths made in the presence of God, which was meant to push the people towards truthfulness and integrity. But instead, we've seen how human hearts fail and fail and fail. We continue to find loopholes to break 
truthfulness, to be dishonest. Even to the point where Jesus is warning them at the end of verse 37, anything beyond that is from the evil one because it compromises the integrity and the truthfulness that Jesus commands of his people. Because it's contrary to the very nature and character of who God is. And he warns us that continue in that pathway of untruthfulness and dishonesty and you are under the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver. And God will judge those who live in that way. And that is why Jesus comes in the flesh. That is why God comes in the flesh himself to not leave us in that state of judgment under untruthfulness. You look at Jesus' life and you will never find a moment he was dishonest where he lacked integrity or distorted the truth. Satan tried to break Jesus' integrity, his commitment to the truth of God's word. After Jesus had been fasting for 40 days in the desert, did he have any luck? No. The Pharisees tried to trick him time and time again, but every time we see Christ Jesus, the perfect human who shows us what a life of truthfulness, of integrity looked like every single time. And we see it particularly in the pressure moment. In Matthew 26, Jesus stands there before the Pharisees and the leaders, questioning him in court. They're goading him. Matthew actually says they're trying to plant false evidence on him. And Jesus remains silent without response until the high priest turns to him and says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, to protect himself, he could have kept quiet. For his own benefit and gain, he could have diverted or distorted. But Jesus himself, in that moment, submits himself to the law to fulfill it once and for all, to show us and to show the whole world what true integrity looks like. It's the only time he speaks during his trial. And he just says, you have said so. He confirms it all. The man standing before you, the one in chains, is the son of God who was promised from the very beginning through God's faithful promises throughout scripture. The one who is before you is the one who's going to put on a crown of thorns. Yes, I am that Messiah. The king who has come to rescue my people. The one who is about to be nailed to a cruel, ugly Roman cross. Yes, I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And under oath before the living God, before my Father, who is everywhere and over everything, I will submit to your oath and confirm that I am your Messiah. And I'm going to come and fulfill this very law that you all fail to keep. And he does that on the cross. As he shows us how he is here to protect us. To take on all that wrong, the sins that we have committed, all those faults and failures we try to cover up with dishonesty and lies and oath-breaking, which we should, we should be judged for. Jesus takes that all upon himself to cover over all of our guilt and our shame. He says, come to me and sit under the shadow of the cross of forgiveness so that you don't need to sit under the shadows of lies and truth, untruthfulness anymore. He says on the cross, I'm here for your benefit, not mine. So that you might find the glory and the comfort and the riches in Christ and his kingdom. You don't need to be dishonest to gain anymore. You gain all you need in Christ Jesus. And so followers of Jesus, we don't need to hide to find loopholes to cover over the things that we mess up in. 
But we can stand confident in Christ, forgiven. We stand with new identities as people who inherit his kingdom with the king today. Which is why he says, people in my kingdom, they don't need to make oaths. Because kingdom people live like Christ. In every word we speak, in every promise that we make, we are truthful. We are wholesome with our words. People should be able to take our word to the bank every single time. They, people should see us and go, those are, those are kingdom people. Because their, their yes is a yes and their no is a no. It's as simple as that. I wonder if you can see the beauty of that sort of life that we have in Christ. Whether you're a Christian here this afternoon or not, I wonder if all of us can see that a life that is all about truthfulness and integrity is so good for all of us now. The world longs for it, for integrity and trust. The nature of our hearts, as we've seen, it tends towards dishonesty, either for selfish gain or to try and cover over our feignings. But when we bring ourselves before God in honest, open confession, we don't find judgment and cancellation. That is what we can be so fearful of in this world. But instead, with God, we find grace and forgiveness. And in Christ Jesus, we don't need to hide in guilt or shame any longer. We can stand confident and say, I walk with Jesus now. Because I stand forgiven in him. My identity is in him. I benefit from him walking with the perfect one, the maker and creator of all. And in that freedom, we can live for Christ in utter integrity. Where we are true to our word. Whether you're a Christian or not this afternoon, if you're feeling that weight of guilt or shame that is driving you towards dishonesty, if you're tired of living in a world full of lies and of broken promises, come back to Christ. Repent and turn to him and know that we are forgiven. And know that if we give our life to him and walk with him, we can live a life of truthfulness and integrity, shining as Christ shone. For Christians, that is a huge part of what it means, I think, to be salt and light. That's how he started the Sermon in the Mount. Those who live with this radical truthfulness and integrity will have an impact on those around them. It's a powerful way to show what the kingdom of Christ looks like. So let me close this sermon with just a few thoughts of, of how we can do this. What, does that, what might this look like for us? There's lots of things we could do. Here's just a few things, suggestions for us to consider. First is this. Have Christ-centered conviction. When we find that temptation to lie or to break oaths, go to Christ every time as our anchor. Find our identity and our values and our beliefs in him, in his word, in his truth, and that means that you don't need to distort or dis to be dishonest to win favor. Instead, we are so anchored in him that we can live with Christ-centered conviction. We can be bold and stand for the truth no matter what comes our way. So the culture will come at us all the time with all sorts of waves of truth claims and fake news. But we stand in the unchanging truth of Christ. Here's the second thing we might consider. Habitual honesty. I borrowed this from an author called R. Kent Hughes. See, I think we're often really aware of the bigger things that we might be dishonest about. But small things we sort of find where it's a bit easier to get away with. But habitual honesty means, look, be honest with the small things. Make a habit. 
keep doing, be honest in the small things and the big things will start to follow. Remember what Jesus was showing us. You, you live in the presence of God all the time. As kingdom people, we live as his people, reflecting the character of Christ. That means big or small, we are truthful. We are people of integrity all the time. And when any temptation comes to fabricate or distort or be dishonest, pause and then pray. Pause for a moment before you say anything. Then pray that the Spirit might help you reflect the integrity of Christ. Here's a third thing that we might consider. Don't make empty promises. I reflected, I'm I'm sometimes in danger of doing this. But it's not only unloving, unloving to God, but it's unloving to our neighbors as well. Be people of integrity where your yes is clear and your no is clear. Let me give you a few examples. Maybe after the service this afternoon, you end up in a conversation with someone who starts sharing some things that are difficult, that's going on in their lives. The easy thing for us to say is, I'll I'll, I'll pray for you. If you say that, make sure you do it. Message them later that week saying, I'm praying for you specifically on the thing that we discussed on Sunday. If you feel that you're going to forget, pray then, on that spot, right then and there. Or what about that greeting we sometimes say? Oh, we should catch up sometime. Empty words. But be kingdom people with truthfulness and integrity. Book it in there and then. Get your phone calendar out. If you're old school, make sure you have your paper diary with you. If you're meeting with people, keep that promise. Be on time. I actually think it's really rare that something comes up so drastically that you can't meet someone. So honor them. Like Christ honored us in meeting us where we really needed it. If you can't meet them, don't pretend. Just say no, that's okay. It's more loving to say no early than saying yes and then cancelling on them later. See, habitual honesty, make a pattern of it. When you call to serve in whatever capacity, whether that's at church or at work, wherever you might be, then let your yes be a yes. Be there. Be present if you said you're going to be there. If you're helping somebody move house or on a rotor at church or helping your boss with something, let us be kingdom people who live with integrity all the time. The final thing I want to say is, 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 I think, really important is speak the truth in love. Paul takes this idea into Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. Because I guess some of us sitting in this room find this a little bit uncomfortable. How it's so hard to speak the truth at times. How do we do it? Sometimes we find it easier. We prefer to keep the peace and avoid it altogether. I remember once when I was working in some office job, I, I had to wear a suit every day. One time on my suit jacket, there was this huge mud stain across the back. I got at work, I had no idea. I put it on, got on the tube, went to work. Do you know when I found out? When I got home. I wish someone had told me. How much more so if a brother or sister is falling into things they shouldn't be or not doing things that they should really be doing? Lean into that. Tell them prayerfully, lovingly what they need to hear. We are called to be people of integrity where God's word and truth fills us so completely that we can speak it into lives of those around us. Now, that said, for, other, for others of us, we'll find it very easy to speak the truth. You know who you are. But if that's you, remember to speak it in love. Sometimes we speak truth for selfish reasons. 
We either bulldoze people to boost our ego, or we pamper people to have them like us out of selfish motives. But be careful of that. That is what the Pharisees were often like, saying things for their self-righteousness, for their self-protection, their self-gain. But speaking truth in love is always about building others up. That's how Jesus spoke truth. He spoke the truth in love to build us up all the time. It was always for the benefit of others, for their growth, for their righteousness. And when we speak like that, it means we speak the truth in love to challenge of things like sin or where, things are, where people are doing things wrong. It's like pruning a rose bush. We snip it back so it grows stronger. Or it's speaking truth to encourage our brothers and sisters when their confidence is low, like fanning a small spark into flames. I've learned over time that I need people who are able to lovingly point out things that I need to work on more than people who constantly say I'm doing a good job. I mean, please don't all cue all at once after to critique me. I still have feelings. I'm still human. But let us be those who lovingly speak the truth to help one another grow. There's so much more we could say, but we're out of time. But the simple thing of this passage is this. Jesus calls us today people in his kingdom to live lives of integrity and truthfulness. Let our yeses be yeses and noes be noes. Let's be people who, who others look to and think, I can trust them in the small things and the big. I can take their word to the bank every time. I never doubt what they say. Let's be people like that. And by God's grace, let us be salt and light in a world that cries out for truth and integrity. And, so, and by doing that, let's show people a kingdom that is radically wholesome, that is radically integral, and point them to a savior who is the way, the truth, and the life, who laid it all down for us. Church, I pray that we can be those sorts of people, wholesome, truthful, integral, for his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in a prayer. Let me give you some space, actually, just to reflect for a moment. Perhaps there's something you need to confess of right now. Perhaps there's something you've been dishonest about. Or that's a particular aspect of your life that you're really struggling with, that you need to bring to Christ. Well, then come and bring it to him. Sit under the shadow of his cross and know his forgiveness. Know that his promise of it is finished is true. For others of us, we might need to be thinking of how do we do this more in the church and outside it. Why don't you pray for one thing that you could do this week that reflects exactly what Jesus has told us to, be lies of, to lead lives of integrity and truthfulness. Let me give you a, a space, just a moment to reflect and pray and that will lead us in a final prayer. Father, we, we come to you in prayer. We know that you love to hear us pray. Father, hear those prayers of confession for those of us who are struggling in this area, who know that we've been dishonest and untruthful and lacking integrity in aspects of our lives. Father, pray that we would come and sit at the feet of Jesus and know his forgiveness.
his restoration. Father, help us as a church, as people to live for those, as those in your kingdom, those who live truthful, honest lives of integrity so that we within this church would love one another as we speak truth in love, that we would help one another grow. And as we head outside the church, that we would reflect your wonder and your beauty, your integrity, that we would be salt and light, pointing people to this great kingdom of truthfulness, of wholesomeness, pointing to our Savior, the one who gave it all, laid down his life for us. Father, pray that we might be a church that honors you in this way this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.